So this morning I thought we'd make a little stop in the letter to the Ephesians. I think a few months ago I was here in the evening and we did, I think it was chapter 2 of Ephesians. And now we're in chapter 3, but it hasn't really been that long. Like I haven't been going there and slowing down. But this morning I thought we'd have a sermon on encouragement. Encouragement. You see, the letter of the Ephesians, Paul is writing the first half of it, chapters 1 through 3, is really a doctrinal part of the letter. Meaning, Paul is telling the Ephesians what God has done for them through his Son. And the second half of the letter, chapters 4 through 6, deal with, now that you're in Christ, how do you live in this kingdom? How do you live now? That you're united to Christ. And if it's been a while since you've read through the letter of Ephesians, or heard any sermons on it, I thought I'd give a very short recap, very short, of chapters 1 through 3, to give us the background and the context of where we are when we reach chapter 3 in the letter of the Ephesians. And Paul starts this letter off singing praises to God. How excited he is about who God is. Listen to this in chapter 1. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us in the beloved. He just wants to shout out praises to God when he starts this letter out. But he doesn't stop there. Then he moves on and he prays for this congregation. He prays for them. We may think of Paul only as an apostle. Or we may think of Paul only as a preacher. But no. Paul is like his Savior, a man of prayer. If you go through his letters, he's always praying for these churches. He's always bringing them before God. And he prays this for them. For this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love towards all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. He loves them. And what any good pastor would do after he prays for them he reminds them of the gospel, what he told them while he was there. He writes in chapter 2, But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved, and raises us up with him, and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. The gospel. What God has done for us through His Son. And then right before our text, leading up to this, because we saw our text started with for this reason, He shows us this new phase in God's redemptive story. A new phase in redemptive history in which now the Gentiles are being brought and built together with believing Jews, into this new temple. With Jesus, Christ Jesus, as the cornerstone. And Paul, right then, wants to pray again. 
He's a man of prayer. He wants to start a prayer again for this reason. And it stops. And you're like, wait, why does it stop? We know he was about to pray because if we keep going in chapter 3, if you look down at verse 14, he starts again, for this reason. So we, and then he prays. So we know he's about to pray here. But he doesn't. It's almost like the Holy Spirit says, wait, Paul, stop. There's one more thing I wanted them to know before you pray. One more thing. They need encouragement. They need to be encouraged. And you might be thinking, really? After everything Paul has just told about how great God is, about singing God's praise, about bringing them in, building them up into this temple, they still need to be encouraged? Yeah. They still need to be encouraged. Just like us. Every Sunday, we hear God's word preached. We still need to be encouraged. You may be thinking, well, why? What could be happening in this church? Maybe he heard some rumblings on his missionary journeys about what's going on all around. Or maybe he just wants to cut off any idea of disconnect of what's going on. This disconnect between the victory and enthronement of Christ and him being given all authority in heaven and earth. And yet, his apostles are getting thrown in prison. His disciples are getting beheaded. If you think of James. Can't you just hear it now? You know, Paul, all this sounds great. How awesome our God is. How God is bringing us in through Jesus. But you're in prison, Paul. And you've been there for a while. And you know, Paul, it's starting to get tough to live for Jesus. You know, we're starting to feel it, the heat, the persecution. How does Jesus reign if his people suffer at the hands of a conquered world? Is the cost even worth it? Is Christ's cause even winning? Why does it seem that we're losing the battle? You know, we feel like that sometimes, don't we? That we're honest. But Paul says, no. Here's an encouragement. There is no disconnect. He says, continue to listen to me. And we get to that first verse. For this reason, I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus, on behalf of you Gentiles. As we see, Paul is telling them that he may be sitting in a prison of Rome. But he's not a prisoner of Rome. He may be there in chains with Roman guards by him, but he's not a prisoner of Rome, is he? He tells us, no, he's a prisoner of Christ Jesus. For you Gentiles. Like I said earlier, he wants to pray for them so bad, but he has to stop. 
He has to show them one more thing. What's going on? He wants to remind them of this mystery that he mentioned earlier in chapter 1. And how the Lord Jesus personally chose Paul to tell them this. To encourage them that everything that's coming out of Paul's mouth, or actually Paul's pen, that it's true. It's true. That Paul would be the one who would shine the light to the nations. Paul would be the apostle to the Gentiles. And at verse 2, for the next five verses, Paul tells them about God's grace. God's grace in the gospel, focusing on this mystery. And it must be an important mystery, because he writes about it all the time. This is what he says in verse 2. Assuming that you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you. Assuming that you heard. Really? Assuming? Remember, Paul was the pastor of this church. He was the pastor of them for over two years. But guess what? It's been three years since he's been in that pulpit. Three years since he's walked into that church. And we know from the letter or the book of Acts, what do we read in the book of Acts? That Christ grew his church daily. Christ was growing his church. So think of how big this church has been since Paul's walked in there. Three years later. He wants everyone to be on the same page here. Assuming that you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me. Some of them probably haven't even seen Paul in real life. People sitting in that church, they've never seen Paul. They're new converts. He wants them all to be on the same page. He wants them to know how the mystery was made known to him by revelation. And one of the things he really wants to get across, beloved, is that it's not from him. It's from Christ. None of this is what he made up. Look what it says. That was given to me for you. It was made known to me. Paul wants them to know that he's just not making this stuff up on his journeys. No. Christ himself gave him this revelation to tell this church and to tell all the churches on his journeys. How many times do you think Paul told the Damascus story in Ephesus? Right. That, that Damascus Road experience. Remember, three years has gone by. And these people sitting there, these new converts, have never heard the story. They may have heard it from somebody else, but not from Paul. Now remember who Paul was before Damascus Road. Saul of Tarsus. Saul. The persecutor of the church. The persecutor. The one who consented to the death of Stephen. The one who was throwing Christians in prison. But now, by the grace of God, he had been given stewardship to tell all the Gentiles about God's grace. And isn't it awesome how God would choose Someone you would never think would be the one. 
come on, Saul of Tarsus. There's no way God would choose Saul of Tarsus to be his mouthpiece. You want to bet? Think of people in our lives. Think of those you see at work or at school or just your neighbor, and you're like, there is no way Christ is going to call that person to faith. No way. But he does. And Paul is one of them. You know, Paul spends a lot of time talking about this mystery. And maybe they do think that Paul's just making this stuff up, but he wants them to know it's not from me, it's from Jesus. The one you've put your faith in. The one that's building this temple or he's the cornerstone. This mystery of Christ. And Paul writes about it everywhere he goes. To every church, every letter has a little bit about this mystery of Christ. Colossians, 1 Corinthians, Galatians, it's all there. And in verse 5 we see this, about this mystery. Which was not made known to the sons of men in other generations. And it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. This redemptive history, this line that God's been going since the beginning, this arc of time, up until the apostles, up until these prophets, the exact way the Gentiles were going to come in was unknown. You get glimpses of it, you get hints. But it's just not there all the way. But it's throughout the whole Old Testament. How many times have you read through the Old Testament that Gentiles were going to come in? It's all over the place. Think of all the way back in Genesis 12. It's pretty close to the beginning, isn't it? Genesis 12. Think of the promise that God gave Abraham. And I will make you a great nation. And I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. And I will curse those who curse you. And in you... All the families of the earth shall be blessed. Speaking to Gentiles, everybody. You know, Paul, in, in the book of Romans, he literally lists a, a whole thing of, throughout the whole Old Testament. He puts something, from, he puts something from the law. He puts something from the prophets. He puts something from the Psalms, showing that Gentiles were going to come in. He writes this in chapter 15 of Romans. He says, for I tell you that Christ became a servant to the circumcised to show God's truthfulness in order to confirm the promises given to the patriarchs and in order that the Gentiles might glorify God in his mercy. As it is written, so you now Paul's jumping back to the Old Testament, therefore I will praise you among the Gentiles and sing to your name. And again it says, rejoice, O Gentiles, with this people. And again... Praise the Lord, all you Gentiles, and let all the peoples extol him. And again, Isaiah says, the root of Jesse will come, even he who arises to rule the Gentiles. In him will the Gentiles hope. You're like, okay, are you sure there's a mystery here? Because this seems pretty clear that the Old Testament said that the Gentiles were going to come in. But Paul tells us in verse 6, what was missing in the Old Testament. This mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. That was the mystery. 
Sure, they were going to come in, but the mystery was, they're going to be one. God's going to bring them in and make them one body. Fellow heirs. The mystery. One new man, Jew and Gentile. That would have boggled their minds in the Old Testament. Wait, no, Gentiles are dirty, sinful. No way would God do that. You want to bet? That is what God did. And that was the mystery that Paul is telling these Gentile churches that he was going to. You're now fellow heirs. Jump back to verse 7. Of this gospel I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given to me by the power, working of his power. Again, Paul wanted to know it was a gift, God's grace. It was given to him. This isn't stuff he's made up. God chose him to be the apostle to the Gentiles. God called him and gave him power. God made him a minister. But that word minister there is not something we should be putting on a pedestal, right? You know, he's not the domine of the church. No. The actual word he uses there is diakonos. What does that sound like? Deacon. He's a servant. Paul tells them, I'm a servant of the gospel. And what's crazy is what he's telling them is that grace made him a servant. Grace did it. God called him to be a servant. God's called us to be servants of the gospel. So God, so Paul's built this. This is what the mystery is. Your fellow heirs now. He's building on this encouragement. Keep telling him what's going on. And now he shifts gears a little bit here in verses 8 through 12. And he wants to deal with making known of this mystery. Within God's eternal plan. And here's this. This is where we come in. This is where the church comes in. The role of the church in God's purpose now. Not only for earth. Not only to tell lost people about God's grace. But as we'll see, we'll tell others as well. Let me read it. Verse 8. To me, though I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to bring to light for everyone that is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God, who created all things, so that through the church the manifold wisdom of God might be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. Again, Paul here is showing us how low God had to go to call someone to be a servant. Did you catch it? What do I mean? This is what Paul said in the 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Paul says in 1 Corinthians, For I am the least of the apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the, persecuted the church of God. Okay, least of the apostles. But what's Paul tell the Ephesians? You see it? It wasn't low enough. He's least of the saints. If you were in Christ, you were a saint. He's telling these Ephesians and us that he was lower than us. But guess what? He says, no, no, I'm lower than that. He says that he is the very least of all the saints. He's like the superlative low. Right? He's so low. 
He's the least. He's the very least. You can't get any lower than Paul. If you're reading the, in King James, it probably says the least most. He's that low. He wants to tell them. But it was all grace. To me, this grace was given. He didn't earn it. He didn't deserve it. But grace was given to Paul to preach to the Gentiles so that we here in this church this morning could be hearing the same thing. Grace. And what did he preach? The unsearchable riches of Christ. Unsearchable. You know, we've all searched for things, haven't we? Right? How many of us have lost our keys when we're searching for our keys? You know, nowadays, the thing we lose the most is probably our cell phone. Right? Where's our cell phone? Where's somebody call my cell phone? Let me see if I can hear it ring. Right? We've all been there. But what's unsearchable? Think about unsearchable. Think about the oceans on the earth. You think those could be unsearchable. But as technology goes, we're building machines that could actually take us to the lowest parts of the ocean. So maybe it's not unsearchable anymore. What else could be unsearchable? Think of space. Think of the vastness of space. Or these stars that they're seeing in these telescopes are like billions and billions of light years away. You think that, that's kind of unsearchable. But we have technology, and if Christ tarries, you know, in another thousand years, we might have ships to go there. So it's not very unsearchable. No. Unsearchable. The riches of Christ are unsearchable. Another word we could use here is incomprehensible. We couldn't even comprehend the idea of these riches of Christ if it was not for grace in the gospel. If it wasn't for Paul being sent to reveal this to us, these riches of Christ. You know, Paul only uses this word one other time in all the letters he writes in the New Testament. This word unsearchable. He uses it in Romans chapter 11. Right before he goes off in doxology, he says, Oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and how inscrutable his ways. These riches of Christ, unsearchable. That us Gentiles, us sinners, could be redeemed. When's the last time we thought about that? Being a Gentile, the need of being redeemed. That it was given to Paul to make this fellowship, this mystery known, redeeming sinful man. We gotta remember this it's not just Gentiles that need it redeemed, but all, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Jews and Gentiles. And that's what this mystery is. Remember, he's making one man out of Jew and Gentile. And now this mystery can be made known by the church, by you and me. You might be thinking, wait a second, is this still happening today? Of course it is. 
course it is. Even today, God calls us, us to proclaim the gospel. It's, he tells us that you are ambassadors of Christ. Go, tell the world. the world that the church can grow and show this manifold wisdom of God. I know everyone in here knows somebody who needs to hear this. And we've been called to go and tell them. And it's not only for our fallen friends that need to hear this. What does Paul say? Who does Paul say is also learning from this wisdom through the church? This is what got me. I had to stop when I was studying this and say, wait, 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 Paul, what are you talking about? He says, the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places are watching us spreading the gospel and they're learning about God. You know, one of the downsides about, downsides about going into a letter and just preaching one, one section is you don't get the whole grasp, right? You don't get the whole, of, of the whole letter of sitting down and listening from the beginning to the end so hearing the context of it. But Paul talks about these rulers and authorities earlier in chapter 1. You know, in chapter 1, Paul told us that by God's great might that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above the rule and authority and power and dominion, and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. These rulers, these authorities, these powers. Christ is seated far above them. But guess what? They're watching. They're seeing. This outworking of what Christ has done. Paul says that they are watching what we are doing. That boggles my mind. It's not just your neighbor watching, is it? So that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. Wow. Verse 11. This was according to the eternal purpose that he has realized in Christ Jesus our Lord. In whom we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in him. So after everything that Christ has accomplished, it is in him. Not in what we do, not in how good of a Christian we are. It is in Him that we have boldness and access to the Father through faith. If we have union with Christ, if you belong to Him, you have boldness and access to go right into the Holy of Holies. Wow. The creator of the universe. Nothing can take that away. If you have been clothed with Christ's righteousness, you will never have to worry about all the things the devil says to you. Because you're Christ's. You've been clothed with his righteousness. You can walk right in and pray to the Father. You don't have to worry about it. You can enter into God's presence. And why is Paul doing this? Remember what he's doing from the beginning of this, of this section. He wanted to pray for them, but he needed to encourage them. And what's he say in verse 13? 
So I ask you not to lose heart over what I am suffering for you, which is your glory. Paul closes this section of text telling the Ephesians that it's according to God's plan what's going on. Nothing's by chance. It was God's plan that he's in prison. God's plan that he's getting beat for the gospel. Think of all the tribulations the Apostle Paul had to go through. Shipwrecked. Floating out in sea for a day and a half. Lashes. Stoning. Losing friends. You know what it says about Paul right before, when he writes 2 Timothy? That he's by himself, that everyone is left. This is the Apostle Paul. This is the one who planted all the churches. He says to Timothy, I'm by myself, man. But what's he tell the Ephesians? Don't lose heart. Don't lose heart. Why? Because it's God's eternal purpose that these things have to happen. It was God's eternal purpose that Paul would do all this to bring the Gentiles in. You know, Paul sees the big picture. Do we see the big picture? Are we only looking down at ourselves and in our own situations? Or are we seeing the big picture of what God is doing throughout the world? That's what Paul was seeing. Paul is preacher, servant of the gospel. Chains didn't discourage him. Beatings didn't discourage him. When he was in prison, he sang to Jesus. This is what Paul writes to Philippians. I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, listen to this, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. This is what's happening. Much more bold. When persecution comes, when we see the world is spinning out of control, when we see our friends start to feel the persecution, does that make us more bold to go tell people about Jesus? Paul told them, don't lose heart. No matter how bad it gets. No matter how bad it gets. We need to learn this same lesson that the Ephesians did. Don't lose heart. When you see our rights as Christians going away, don't lose heart. When we think it's only going to get worse, and it probably will, don't lose heart. When they put us in prison because we want to preach the word of God, don't lose heart. This is why that prayer had a wave, beloved. And aren't you glad it did? Aren't you glad that he took time to tell us that no matter how bad it gets, we know how great our God is, what he's done for us, the mysteries of Christ, the unsearchable riches of Christ to bring us to him, to build us into a temple, to fill us with his Holy Spirit so we can go out and tell the world what we have. We have it. It's ours. Give it out. When everything goes awry, Paul tells us today, as he told the Ephesians, don't lose heart because God is in control. Let's pray. Father God, we come before you this morning and just 
in awe of your goodness, in awe of what you've done through your Son for us. We pray, Lord, that we could be bold, that we could remember who we are in Christ, that we have boldness and access to you by your Son. We just pray, Lord, that we don't fear about the world and what's going on, but we know it's your eternal purpose to go out and tell everybody about Jesus. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.